John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. We begin reading in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twenty baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves. Think about that for a second. Which remained over and above them unto them that had eaten. Then those men, the five thousand, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. This morning I want to speak to you on the subject of what are you looking for? When you come to church, what are you looking for? When you open your Bible... What are you looking for? When you pray to the Lord, what are you looking for? Our Lord has just defended his divinity and his lordship in a debate with the Pharisees in John chapter 5. That's why the beginning of John chapter 6 says, after these things. After that whole discussion we had in John chapter 5 was over, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had proclaimed in John chapter 5 that he is the Son of God. Therefore, he is the Messiah. Therefore, he is God in flesh. He is divine. And in that, he establishes his authority. He will be the one to judge. He will do his Father's will. And therefore, what he does is his Father's will. Therefore, what he does is by the authority of our Heavenly Father, our Creator, God. And he backs up these claims. He doesn't just claim it. He doesn't just speak it. But he backs up these claims with the testimony of John the Baptist. He backs up these claims with the miracles that he performed. The miracles proved that he was indeed the Son of God. That's why Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 and said, We know that no man can do the things that you're doing except God be with him. The miracles that Jesus was performing proved that he was the Christ, the Messiah, and everybody knew it, including the Pharisees who debated against him and who tried to discredit him. And he referenced the Old Testament prophecies that prophesied about his life and his ministry. This is what the Lord has just done. And after he has done all this, after he has said all of this, after he has proven all of this, he is going across 
the Sea of Galilee. And he is going and we see that the multitudes are following him. Now there's something to be said about this. The Pharisees knew who Jesus was, yet they rejected him. And when they rejected him, he goes across the Sea of Galilee to get away from them. When we reject the Lord, he often withdraws his presence and influence from us. And with his presence goes his blessing. Now verse 4 is going to be a key verse throughout the rest of John because when we go through John chapter 6, there's going to be some passages that are going to be very difficult to interpret and they're going to sound a little strange. And when we go through John chapter 6, there are some verses that some religions have misinterpreted to create some funny sounding doctrines. Verse 4 is key to getting John chapter 6 correct. Verse 4 says, And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. That means Passover was coming up, and it's on people's minds. Guess what? People are already starting to think about Christmas. Have y'all noticed that? Now, I haven't left Brown County since the 1st of November, but I will tell you that when I go up to the Metroplex, I guarantee you, even before Thanksgiving, there's going to be a radio station up there playing nothing but Christmas music. All right? Hobby Lobby has the trees up. They've had the trees up since, like, April, I think. Um, You know, we're already thinking Christmas. They are getting close to Passover. They're thinking Passover. And that's an important detail because around the time of the Passover, the people would begin to look for Messiah. And one tradition that still remains among Hebrew families is that they will see if Elijah has returned. In fact, there's a tradition in Passover where they leave the door open for Elijah and they set a place at the table for him. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but, but they do that. And so they're looking for the Messiah. That's a detail that will be important later on. And we find in this passage that as Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, a multitude of people have followed Jesus because of the miracles that he's performed. Now the issue that we find here is that they are following not because they saw the miracles and saw that Jesus is the Christ and they want to follow the Lord, but rather they are following the miracles. They want healing. They want the show. And the deeper we get into this episode, we will find how little they thought of the eternal salvation that the Lord was offering. We will find out as we get deeper into this episode how earthly their thinking really was. And this is a problem that we see in today's society, and we see it in today's churches. Society at large rejects Christian teaching. Society at large rejects the scriptures, rejects the Bible as being God's word. And then society, which rejects the message of Christianity, the gospel, which rejects the scriptures, which rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and rejects the God of the Bible as he is described in the Bible, the world that rejects him will complain that we are not giving enough back to society. That we are not giving enough to them, that we're not giving enough to charity, that we're not loving them good enough. They reject us, they reject our Lord, they reject our faith, but yet they complain that they're not getting enough out of us. And we're going to see the people by the end of chapter 6, they're doing the same thing to Jesus. There are those within the church that are at church looking to the church to solve a temporary problem they are having. And you say, Leland, how do you know my problem is temporary? 
all problems are temporary. Every last one of them. Some are more severe and some are more disturbing, but they are all temporary. Those within the church are often looking to the church to solve a temporary problem that they are having. I got arrested last week. I've got a legal problem. I better get back into church. My child is misbehaving. I'm going to go to church and see if I can figure out how to, how to handle this. My husband has made a fool out of himself. I'm going to drag him down and make him talk to the preacher. All right? We are looking to the church to solve our temporary problems. And so passages like this remind us to check our motivation. In this passage, we will re-examine who our Lord is and we will see what he truly offers. In this passage, we will see our Lord's compassion. He does care about those temporary problems. And finally, we will understand that our Lord's plans will be accomplished one way or the other. So let's look to our Lord and let's see what it is that he offers. We're going to skip to the end of the passage. Y'all say amen. We're going to skip to verse 14. And if you're not careful, you'll misread verse 14. So we're going to read verse 14 nice and slow. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This, pointing to Jesus, this, that, that's who this is. Jesus is this, okay? This is of a truth. That prophet that should come into the world. You see, these men, it's around Passover time. And what are we thinking about at Passover? We're thinking about being led out of Egypt. We are thinking about the Messiah. We are thinking about the Lamb of God. We are thinking about the book of Deuteronomy. And we know in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Bible tells us that God would raise up a prophet like unto Moses from among the people. And here they are at Passover time. Thinking about Moses, thinking about the wilderness, thinking about the manna from heaven. And Jesus has just fed everybody with a never-ending supply of bread that fed the entire multitudes. Oh, this looks familiar. This must be that prophet. That was in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that God would raise up from among us. This prophet... You get the idea from reading Deuteronomy 18 that they understood that the prophet would be the Messiah, the Christ. He would be divine. And like Moses, this prophet would lead Israel out of bondage and into God's promise and into his eternal provision. Like Moses led the people out of the bondage of Egypt, so Christ leads us out of the bondage of sin and condemnation. I could not be more thankful to the Lord this morning that Brother Wayman brought the Sunday school lesson that he did where he described sin as slavery and bondage because that's exactly what it is. Egypt was slavery and bondage for the Israelites. And Egypt in Scripture is symbolic of sin. You notice when you read the Bible, nobody ever goes up to Egypt. They all go down into Egypt. There's a reason... For that language, they go down into Egypt, just like people go down into sin. When you read the Bible, does anything good happen in Egypt? Nothing good ever happens in Egypt. Well, you know, Joseph saved his brothers. Joseph, what, look at what all Joseph went through to get there. When he finally got his brothers down there, 
and they were saved from the famine. What happened to the brothers then? That went downhill pretty quickly, okay? Nothing good ever happens in Egypt, and if something good does happen in Egypt, it is very temporary. You'll notice that Egypt is a place of slavery and bondage for the Israelites. It became a place of unparalleled degradation and humiliation. It became a place of hopelessness. They were forbidden from having male children. That if the rule was if a child was born and he was a male, that child was to be killed. Infanticide. This was the rule. This is horrible. It's disgusting. Unparalleled degradation and humiliation that I cannot even put into words. That's Egypt. Yet under the power of God, Moses led the people out of that dark place, out of hopelessness, and was taking them to a promised land that was flowing with milk and honey, where God would be their God, and they would be his people. Today, sin has entrapped and enslaved millions of people around the world. Nothing good ever seems to come out of sin, although there are sometimes very temporary, short-lived pleasures that are associated with it. Sin breeds degradation. Sin breeds humiliation. Sin breeds hopelessness. It is darkness. Yet in Romans 6.23, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. It will kill you. And not only will it kill you, but it will kill you in, the, your, in your default state of being separated from God. If you die in your sins, you will face the eternal condemnation of God for your sins. But Romans 6.23 has a second half to the verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ offers deliverance from the pain of sin. Yes. He offers forgiveness. He offers redemption from sin. Restoration. He can take the man. Brother Wayman said he has warts this morning. He can take the man with the most warts. And turn him into a shining beacon of light. He can Amen. restore him. Amen. The question is, as we gather here this morning, with just about everybody in this congregation making a profession of faith, the question is, do we believe the Lord rescued us? Yes. And, I, and I say, do we believe? Is this something that we have taken to heart? Have we placed our faith into this? Have we hung our hat on that nail, our coat on that nail, whatever we're hanging on that nail, have we hung it on that nail? Yes. Do we actually believe, trust, have internalized the blessing, have fully realized that the Lord rescued us, forgave us, and redeemed us from sin? Mm -hmm. Do we even believe we have sinned? Mm -hmm. Do we confess that sin is our nature, it's our default condition? Yes. A lot of people take exception to this one of the main reasons society rejects our message is that society rejects the notion that they have sinned you say well jesus is love god is love jesus died for your sins jesus loves you jesus wants to receive you into heaven what's your problem with that message it's not the problem with the idea of heaven 
The problem that society has is we're telling them that in order to go to heaven, they have to believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross and that Jesus went to the cross because of their sin. They reject that idea that they have sin. Society rejects the notion that all men have sinned, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that word men, we're, we're not being gender specific here. The ladies have sinned too. Society believes that they are basically good people and that we can trust in the goodness of human nature. How many times have you seen that theme in the movies? Now, I like watching movies. But how many times you watched a movie where the lesson is being able to believe in the basic goodness of human nature? That man is basically good, he just messes up from time to time. When the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And in case you're trying to figure out what does that righteous mean, the Bible goes on to redefine that and says that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul wrote that in me dwells no good thing. This is the greatest missionary ever lived. He's an apostle. He wrote half the New Testament. He says in me dwells no good thing. Scripture teaches us that there is no good that is natural and inherent within man. We are all evil. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And to place your faith in the goodness of man is to be the hen that places her faith in the fox to guard the hen house. We are to trust God and love people. But society today is in the business of trusting people rather than trusting God. And then we try to figure out where this knife in my back came from. Well, because you are the hen that trusted the fox to guard the hen house. There's a story about a woman on a mountain. I don't know how she got there. Well, I don't know what she's doing up there. Because it's snowy and it's cold and it's freezing. And she's walking along in the snow on this mountaintop. Why is she up there? I don't know. And there's this snake. It's a rattlesnake. And he, you know, snakes, when they get cold, they can't hardly move, right? And this thing is freezing to death. And I need your help. Can you get me to the bottom of the mountain so I don't freeze to death? And this woman says, I know what you are. No, 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 no. Honest, why would I, why would I, why would I bite you? I need you to save my life. And so he convinces her. You know, all these stories talk start out with a woman talking to a snake. Y'all notice that? <laughs> anyway, so she has compassion on the snake. She believes him when he says that he would not bite her because she would be saving his life. She takes the snake, puts the snake in her purse, and walks down the mountain to the warm valley below, pulls the snake out of her purse, sets the snake on the ground. He turns around and bites her. And she goes, I saved your life, and now you've bitten me, and I'm going to die. And the snake says, look, you knew I was a snake. You know why rattlesnakes bite? It's because they're snakes. Why does the fox eat my chickens? I actually have been eating my ducks, which is really hurting my feelings. Why does the, sna- why does the fox eat the chickens? Because he's the fox. Why does my dog dig up the backyard? 
Because she's a dog. People are evil. But yet God gave his only begotten son to go to the cross to pay for the sin and the wrongfulness and the evilness of the world so that we could be redeemed from it. Now I say people are evil. If you've got the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you've got the sin nature, but you've got the spirit of God living within you and that transforms you into a new creature. But man in and of himself is not good. But 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This concept of, of confessing your sin to God, it's a concept not only of saying, yes, I did this thing, but it's also confessing that that sin was wrong that you are a sinner, that God is righteous, and you are confessing your need to him to be redeemed and cleansed and transformed by his power. Amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we believe that the Lord redeemed us from sin? That the Lord redeemed us from sin and not we ourselves? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You didn't do it. You had nothing in you to attract it. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Not anything you did that got you into heaven. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus Christ paid for your sins and redeemed you from sin when he died on the cross. Then he conquered death and gave you eternal life when he rose from the grave. You access that salvation through faith. Do you believe? If you could fully grasp this concept, your temporary earthly problems would not be such a big deal. Because you would see if God could conquer this problem for you, he's got everything else in the bag. And with that, we see our Lord's compassion. When the Lord saw the multitudes coming, he saw a crowd that was hungry, that needed sustenance, that needed food. Yeah. And we see through the, humbling, through the humble offering of a little boy, our Lord was able to meet their needs and to feed the entire multitude and have leftovers. This humble offering, this little boy, the five loaves and the two fishes. You know, you may not think that you've got much to give, but God can use it. You may look at our church budget and say, that's an awfully small church budget. That makes me sad, but God can use it. I will tell you, I, have, I failed to get a financial report, but we did better this past month than we did the month before and we paid the insurance and still had money left in the bank that's a blessing yes. our Lord sees your needs yes, he, does. he sees your hurts he sees your pain he sees what you lack he sees your needs, and he will meet your needs. His instructions to you are that you trust him. Yes. You trust him, and he wants you to take your focus off of those needs 
and place it on him. I played basketball in school up until my freshman year of high school. I broke my arm the last of football, which took me out of basketball season, and I never played again, and that, that, that made me sad. And I, I still can't shoot a jump shot, can I, Isaac? It's, it's a comedy when I get out there and try to shoot a basketball with Isaac. Because I broke my shooting hand. I'm using that as an excuse. <laughs> Forget where I was going with that. So we'll just move on. Basketball's fun, though. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Jesus said, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God sees your needs. He sees that you need food. He sees that you need drink. He sees that you need clothes. He sees that you need shelter. And he says, don't be taking thought. Don't be anxious. Don't have anxiety over these things. Let me tell you something. He says, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. You are never more like a lost person than you are when you are consumed and preoccupied with how you're going to be provided for. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. God sees your needs. He understands your needs. And Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God promises, our Lord promises, that if you are following him, he is meeting your needs. You shall not lack for anything. You shall not want for anything. You may want something, but you shall not want for anything. There is a difference. Want is to have a deficiency. To want something is to desire something. I want a new car. But I do not want for a car. God has met my need for transportation. There's a guy that came to the office I was working at one day. He wanted some money. And so our boss offered to let him trim the hedges around the building for some money. He didn't want to trim the hedges. He just wanted a couple of dollars. He was thirsty. And my boss says, well, I'll give you a bottle of water. He gave him a bottle of water. He didn't want water. He wanted Dr. Pepper. And my boss said, well, if you want Dr. Pepper, you can earn money by trimming my hedges. And I'll give you enough money to buy Dr. Pepper for a couple of weeks. He goes, but I don't want to trim hedges. He goes, if you're thirsty, I'll give you water. But I want Dr. Pepper. Well, you've got water. He did not want for a drink, but he wanted a Dr. Pepper. I can relate. I can relate to wanting a Dr. Pepper. But you see the difference. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you read Psalm 23, you see how the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not, he meets our needs, all of them. We shall not want for food. We shall not want for water. We shall not want for protection. We shall not want spiritually. He sees our needs and he provides for them. And he has promised to do so. We see the compassion of the Lord and we understand that his plan will be accomplished. In verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived 
that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Yes. Jesus has a plan. Yes. And in John chapter 6, his plan was to continue his ministry till it was time for him to go to the cross. Yes. John 12, 27, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. The cross is why Jesus is on the earth here in the book of John. Our Lord's plan was to go to Calvary, to pay for our sins, to redeem us, to rise again, conquer death, and establish his glorious kingdom on earth. The people's plan was to forego the redemptive miracle of the cross and crown him then so that they could have a stable and convenient food supply. And Christ did not let this happen. There is nothing you can do to alter God's plan. He will, in his good timing, send our Lord Jesus Christ to earth to end sin and establish his kingdom. There is nothing we can do to expedite that day. I have read authors that said if we would merely evangelize the world that Jesus would come back because the scripture says that in the day that Jesus returns, the gospel will be preached in all corners of the earth. That is true, but just because we got all four corners of the earth, every last jungle and continent, I know the earth doesn't literally have corners, but just because we evangelize the entire earth does not mean that Jesus is coming back at that moment because our evangelism efforts may not have reached the ones that Jesus needed reached. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that he is not slack concerning his promise, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish. That's right. yeah. When the last one who will be saved will be saved, is saved, that's when our Lord returns. And we don't know who that guy is. So we can't go knocking on his door to speed things up. We can't do anything to expedite the return of the Lord. If we could, we would. Would we not? We can't do anything to delay the return of the Lord either. Nope. We can't delay the Lord's return by how we vote, by how our politics is. <laughs> we can only trust in his plan. Some of us are not going to live to see the Lord return. The Lord has set an appointed day for us to close our eyes to this world and open our eyes to the next. Amen. We don't know when that day is coming. Now, there are some things that we try to do to delay that day. But there is nothing we can do within God's will to change our date. That's right. We just have to trust that the time that we have on this earth is the time that we wanted. When I was in seminary, one of our end times professors said that the, that the, that the Lord would return in two years. <laughs> he missed that, by the way. I was in seminary from 04 to 06. But by his timetable, the Lord would have returned before I graduated seminary. I started questioning why I was in seminary. Like, I'm not going to accomplish anything here. And I asked him, I said, well, then what's the point of my ministry then? And he says, Brother Leland, you will have all the time in your ministry that God wants you to have. And you just trust that. And if it's his will that you be at this seminary and you feel led to be at this seminary, 
then you stay at this seminary. If he comes back while you're still at this seminary, you did what he wanted you to do, and you can trust in that. That's right. I think he was right about that part. <laughs> he was wrong on the timing. But he's a good man of God. He just gets some weird ideas every now and then. We cannot alter God's plan. We see in John chapter 6, these people are following Jesus because they see the miracles. They see the healings. They're following Jesus. They're seeking free food. They're seeking free health care. They're seeking to have their temporary problems in this world solved to the complete exclusion and ignoring the greater gift that God has to offer of his eternal salvation. The question is, what do you seek? What's on your mind? Are you seeking solutions for temporary problems? Are you consumed with things that God has already promised that he would take care of for you? Or are you here seeking or in thanksgiving for his eternal salvation? If you are here seeking his eternal salvation, all you need to do this morning is to, in your heart, Turn from your sin, reject it, confess to God that it is sin, that it is wrong, he is holy and you are not, and then trust him to cleanse you and transform you into the person that he intended on you being, to trust what he did on the cross to redeem you. And you can make that change in your heart from your seat. You don't even have to come forward for the invitation, although we do appreciate that because we love celebrating with you. If you already know the Lord is your Savior, keep it all in perspective. Let us stand.